we're basically Trojan horsing, but the wrong direction. You know what I mean? So like, it's a game dev podcast, which has a tiny yeah, audience. We're starting with the smallest group. And then, and then we bring you in and you're like, oh, actually, it turned out what I wanted was entrepreneurship and business and life stuff all yeah, along, right? Everybody's looking for that podcast. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 351 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of the Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I can't figure out what season we're in. I'm Sam. It's winter. There you go. Are you sure? <laughs> it was 60 degrees yesterday, but it is snowing today, so. It's freezing mm, rain now. You know? That's the St. Louis wobbly winter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a slot machine of weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is February 17th, 2020. And before we get started, we have a warning. Anything could happen on this show, especially swear words. Yup. So buckle your ear holes and get ready. We have yet to have an episode where that's the only thing that happens. Is just we should maybe words. and look into that and see if we can make that happen. Yeah, when you say buckle your ear holes, you know that little yeah, like, buckle in. The little nubbin on the front of your ear. I wonder. And there's like those little clasps or like the uh, like snap buttons. I hate where this is going. Could you get a piercing? Okay. Get a piercing on the nub that is like the little part of the clasp and then get another piercing on the top of your ear so you could fold your ear down. Fucking just just click. If people are talking to you, I don't want to hear this shit. Pow. Just clip your ear. Right. Buckle your ear. Earplugs. You just have uh, ear ear flap closers. Ear class. So that would be my personal downfall because I don't have that ear nub. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You're nubless. I don't have it. You could just, I literally can't implant, you know, just while you're at it. This is something that I'm wondering how rare this is because I've never met another person in my whole life who's missing those ear flaps and I can't use earbuds. They don't stay in because that's the, that's the thing that holds them there. I don't have it. I always have, I always have to wear over ear headphones. Like if I'm going to the gym or something, I got to wear like full on headphones. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I'm, I always wonder, are people thinking like, wow, this guy's like, trying to show off his headphones or like he's trying to make a mm-hmm. statement. But it's like, I no, I just, as I long as you don't earphone. have beats by Dr. Dre, you're not trying to show off your headphones. You know you're probably, I mean? Are you wearing Boses though? Cause that's, that's pretty No, I, I bought some kind of like cheaper over ear headphones that's that fine. I can sweat, sweat into. Cause I don't want to, you know, but, uh, you should look, you should look into, a nubbin, uh, implant. Services. Mm. Yeah, made it because I wonder because it's called a pinna, right? That little, the little niblet. Uh, could and be. It, they're yeah. they're for sound. You turn your pinna into a pin up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're actually they're for sound uh, directional identification. So I wonder if like if you're lacking that nub, which I my guess is like helps with lateral and and backward sound detection, like being able to tell where Maybe. it's coming from. I wonder if you have reduced capacity for people sneaking up on you, which, you know, in the coming apocalypse, you may need. I think, honestly, that just sounds like propaganda being spread by Big Pinna. And I think that maybe Mm. it's the case that actually not having a Pinna helps you identify sound more. And... Uh, this is just lies spread. But there by is people one thing: ear flaps. Because <laughs> we're we're a pinna normative society, right? So exactly. That's true. So That's everything true. revolves yeah. around the pinna. So, but the yeah. problem there is that in order for you then to get by as a as a pinnaless as a pinnaless, pinnaless. 
Yeah. Is that you you have to basically like use all these assistive devices like over your headphones and all this kind of stuff, right? But Pretty much just that, but yeah. That's, that's the key. <laughs> but like, oh, but, but literally, how, what fraction of your life is spent with something it, intending to be in, but otherwise on your ears so that you can either hide sounds or choose the sounds that you want to listen to? Because it's literally all day, right? Nowadays, Nowadays yeah. yeah. It's, it's also when you go to the gym, right? Yeah, like it's when you're either in your house or not in your house. Those are the two times uh-huh. that you're gonna wear something over your. It feels like so such an point, apex predator move to be like, I don't even need to hear anything. I don't ever. Yeah. I hear I, what I want. Nothing's gonna. Nothing's <laughs> gonna. Nothing's gonna eat me. Probably. Right. I don't have to know where sounds are coming from. But it still might. You know, so, so this is one of those things like, it's kind of like ADHD, right? It's like, you can't fix ADHD, but you can like get back and like, you know, and ADHD isn't like, yeah, it's, it's debilitating in a lot of ways. It certainly can be, but so much of what's debilitating about it is the way that society has been designed around you by people who do not have ADHD. Yeah. It's 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 not me, it's you. Yeah. But that's why you take, that's why you take Mm -hmm. drugs to kind of bring yourself closer to what the the non-ADHD requirements are. Oh, so you're saying I just need a drug that will sort of engorge my my ear yeah. flap. Yeah, either that uh, or an implant <laughs> to just kind of sing your flap. Because then from that from then on out, like now all of a sudden, you have to worry about any of this. You want you want to put some earplugs in? Put some put some earplugs in. You want to put in some earbuds? Put in some earbuds. You know, just plop them right in there, and then you can just move on with life. But nobody nobody will ever know that you're. Supposed no to know. be ostracized no from society for your absence of pin pinning. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's my it's my downfall. Uh, also, uh, we we would we need to make sure we thank our supporters before mm. we get too deep into pinna talk. Uh, we got we got a new supporter from moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, Raisin, that's their name. Raisin. I love said, Raisin. Uh, Said regarding the intro, uh, regarding the intro of podcast number three forty seven, which I can't remember. Uh, I think it's when we maybe talked about our audience or, so, or like how like the niche that we fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raisin says, "I discovered your podcast because I was looking for game dev podcasts, but it turns out that I wanted a small business slash entrepreneurship podcast all along. Mm-hmm. So whatever your niche is, I'm in it. I you think it's pretty cool. I think Have the a funny thing is." We're basically Trojan horsing, but the wrong direction. You know what I mean? So, like, it's a game dev podcast, which has a tiny yeah, audience. We're starting with the smallest group. And then, and then we bring you in, and you're like, oh, actually, it turned out what I wanted was entrepreneurship and business and life stuff all yeah. along, right? But which those, everybody's looking for that podcast. Yeah, exactly. That category is like enormous. Whoopsie. Whoopsie. Well, you know, we're too deep in it now. There's no going back. I'm yeah. telling you, season uh, two. Season, season two. two is going to be pretty bonkers. Yeah. When are we, when are we starting that? I don't know. That's when you got around figure four hundred. What that means? I think I think we should do it around the six year mark, which would be fifty two three sixty three. That would be June of this year, I think, because I think we started it. Oh no, I think we started in June of twenty fifteen. So we're we're coming up on the seven year mark seven in year, terms yeah. of mm-hmm. yeah, right. Yeah, but not in terms of episode numbers. Fifty two. Yeah, because there's fifty a year times seven would be three fifty. So you know, it's oh yeah, we're past six years yeah, plus fourteen numbers. now. Right, because you got to add those extra two weeks, fifty-two weeks per year. Don't forget, yeah, that. fifty-two yeah. times six is three hundred and twelve. That's six, yeah. So that's seven. So that's basically, I think we're seven we year switch to season two, uh, and maybe yeah, we could change some categorization on the stores. Okay, and shit. isn't seven years also when some something some like religious that's supposedly group or something gets rid? Uh, of that's when locusts come out, and also when locusts come out. 
Yeah, it's the yeah. Jubilee. And, it's mainly the Jubilee because the Locusts come out. So you don't really have anything to pay debts anymore. And everyone's like, well, I guess, you know, whatever. Do they, yeah, and even. That's, do they relieve the debts because they know that debts are an evil thing to hold on to and all the locusts yes. screaming at them are like, they're like, oh God, like the, the, the debt demon is mm-hmm. here to tell us yep. that we've fucked this up. Well, so no, it's quit. just that, you know, historically everybody was a farmer and nobody could pay their debts when the locusts came, you know, because mm, there's yeah, no yeah, crops yeah. to harvest. So they just kind of built it in to the, this is real. This is real history and science. All right, now let's get into some studio news, namely the Game Changer. What about okay. it? Uh, so we've talked about the the Fabricator, which we are now calling the Game Changer because it uh, lets us change the game, but also, you know, it changes the game the in terms game. of how we change games. Yeah. You know what literally I mean? and literally. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah. Not even fig- – not figuratively nope. at all. Just literally Just pure- in multiple ways. Pure literal, top to bottom, okay? So one of the inspirations for a lot of the ways that we approach these kinds of changes in our work in terms of like stopping production to make a new tool to try to make our lives better uh, comes from the concept of the Andon Cord, which is from Toyota, way, way back when. Uh, and the Andon Cord was this idea that if, if any person on the assembly line for building cars if any person saw a defect in a car, they were obligated to pull this cord and it would stop production. And then everybody on the team would swarm the problem and try to figure out how the problem was introduced. And production doesn't resume at all until it's fixed. Till it's till the source of the problem is resolved. So uh, and again, this is an obligation, not a not a, oh, uh, it's a thing you get to do as an no, employee. It's like if you, you, if you see a defect and you don't pull the cord, you're fired, right? Mm, yeah. uh, so this is really counter to the idea of how how internally a lot of people automatically think about what it means to do work and to produce, right? Because the idea of like, if you stop the assembly line, no cars are coming out. So you're, quote, losing money, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're losing production, you're losing sales, et cetera, Um and that's kind of that's kind of the same state that we're currently in as we are working on the game changer, which is a tool that lives inside of our games that is used to allow our content production teams to add stuff to the games and change things in the games without doing any programming. Right? Problem is, it's a huge undertaking. As in, like we've we've now I think we're like ten, we started 10 in October, weeks in so or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we started in like end of October with figuring out just like how to think about it and then built an entire interface management system to be able to create this editor. And then starting at the return of, at the start of the new year, actually brought those concepts together and started building the interface using our new interface engine to be able to manipulate game data. And we also have to convert all the game's data from the past year over to this new format so that it can be edited. And we should say too that the interface engine itself, you know, it wasn't just to solve this problem. It was that this problem really required it. Um, Yeah. Interfaces have always been hard. Yeah. But but yeah, there's been a problem literally for the entire, what now, eight years of the studio's existence, which was that, yeah, making and editing uh, interfaces has always been extremely costly and horrible. Yeah. Uh, And at no point in the past Actually, it's been almost 10 years, right? Yeah. June of 2012. Uh, at no point in the past 10 years did we stop and just say, hey, making interfaces is hard and bad and takes forever. Um, 
let's just try to come up with a way to make it easy to make interfaces. Uh, so in other words, that was a defect that went through our, our production pipeline mm-hmm. that we never pulled the cord on, right? And so now, 10 years later, we have thousands and thousands of interface elements and lines of code and whatever spanning all of our games that are built in a defective way using sort of one-off, not-so-great uh, solutions to, to problems. And now that we have actually a good interface platform that we can use, uh, we have a whole bunch of work to do to try to make it play nice with all the bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it's harder to make this new thing, um, and, uh, and we have to kind of dig out, and that's that idea of tech debt, right? So one of the things that I've been kind of struggling with sort of emotionally as we've been working through the the game changer is is every additional week you know that it takes mm-hmm. to work on this thing there's this sort of increasing feeling of of panic that it's very hard to get out of where you just think like we haven't been adding stuff to the game we haven't been adding stuff to the game we haven't been adding stuff to the game and it, that that kind of internal voice just keeps getting you know louder and louder right and uh, this past weekend, it, for me, it kind of hit like a, a peak moment because you think to yourself, back when we were just jamming stuff into the game willy-nilly, mm-hmm. right? Um, let's say we had, in, instead of, you know, toward the end of October, instead of halting production and working on this tool, let's say we just kept adding stuff to the game, right? We would indeed have more stuff in the game right now, mm-hmm. right? Um, there are a bunch of things that we wouldn't have, which is like we still wouldn't have the ability to have our you know nar- narrative designer actually adding story elements to the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Sam still wouldn't be able to add things to the game himself. Anytime we wanted to add sounds or music to the game, that would still be a programming problem, mm-hmm. right? And so we would still be adding stuff to the game at a slow pace with a lot of bottlenecks. But over three and months, that can you know feel like a bunch of stuff. It feels like a over lot three months, it's going to be a pretty like decent number yeah. of the things. The problem right? is, what about over the next twelve months after that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so to kind of like think through this about the the cost benefit, right? I was thinking to myself, okay, let's just say you know we, we kind of gave ourselves like a like a three year window to work on Crashlands Two. Um, I said, okay, let's let's say that we've got like a couple years left. Do we want to work on this thing, right? Um, if if this uh, game changer, you know, ends up taking four months to get up and running, out of I guess now at this point that would be four months ago, right? So like twenty twenty eight months total. So it takes four months out of twenty eight months mm-hmm. uh, to to get this thing going. Then what proportion of dev time is that? It's like. 16% or something mm-hmm. like that. So it will have been worth it if it boosts our production by only like 20% mm-hmm. for the remaining amount of time. And because we really believe in this tool, we think that it's going to double or triple or quadruple even our mm-hmm. ability to add content to the game. And it's going to let us scale our, our content production team, uh, right? And so... So that kind of reassured me because then I thought, well, if it if it's going to do sort of the minimum of what we think it's going to do, which is basically double mm-hmm. our ability to add, to add stuff to the game, yeah, then, then even if it took a whole year to make, even if it even if yeah. it took an entire year, then the second year of of production we would be moving twice as fast and we would end up in the same place, right? 
Well, we're actually like a we're not even in the scenario. same place because then the whole experience that second year would we'll be, be different. Better. It would be different yeah. and better, right? Because yeah. the if we just plugged along like we did normally, then then Seth would still be constantly underwater trying to do some combination of implementing and stuff. Everybody and would be waiting systems. for everybody's me waiting. To do so things. like yeah, so everything's bottled up constantly. Uh, everything's tightly coupled since everybody's waiting. Um, and so all of a sudden we just don't have any of that, you know, like it's, yeah. it's a good developer and a human experience for that whole second year. Yeah. And so it's easy to think about like the lost production right now, you know, mm-hmm. based on the way that you were doing things before, but, uh, a, a nice way to kind of reframe it is to think, you know, what's my total time scale? Uh, how big of a benefit do I think this thing that I'm doing is going to to bring to the, the team, right? And if it's going to take 10% of the remaining time to, you know, stop production and do this thing, and if that thing gives you, well, I think it's like, at that point, it's like a, like a 12% boost mm-hmm. to your output, then it's a break even, right? But then, of course, like Adam was saying, then that's just in terms of output, but then the remaining experience is so much better as well because you're using this new tool, right? So the numbers are actually only problematic once you start to get a long way past that halfway point, yeah. right? Because like if you hit the two-thirds mark, then it has to be triple uh, mm-hmm. production, right? If you yep. hit the three-quarters mark, then it has to be 4x production because you've only got a quarter of the time remaining. But even uh, then, it all, so, still, it all still depends on the, the term, right? And that's the key to all of this stuff is – and the thing that we – it's so easy not pay attention to is that short-term versus long-term focus, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, Crashlands 2 is the next game. We're going to get out. We're on a budgetary time limit because we'll literally run out of money at some point if we don't get it out, right? So, yeah. So there's a there's a tight timeline because of that in that sense, right? There are other options, though, because like if we are going to run out of money and it's not done, we can seek funding, we can get publishers, we can do other mm-hmm. kinds of stuff, right? So that's not as hard of a deadline as it otherwise may seem. But what happens after Crashlands 2? Well, the first thing is we got to support it for some amount of time and maybe put more stuff into it depending on the overarching yeah, business yeah. strategy, right? And what if that's still hard? What well, if that's still hard? <laughs> and then even after that, well, there's the next game, right? So if making the next game is just as hard as it was to make the last game, right? Because mm-hmm. now, like, even if it, if it took, if it took, 18 months to build this thing. And then we like scramble, put together Crashlands, the rest of Crashlands 2 in six months, right? Uh, and they're like, fuck, it's okay. Like we think this is still good enough to to launch as is. Maybe we'll like release a big update or something, you know? So we get it out. Or we get funding. So now all of a sudden we're in debt to some extent. Either way, like we do that. We survive the launch. Crashlands yeah. 2 still does fine. Then now all that investment we did at that time, that yeah, that took most of Crashlands 2's development time, mm-hmm. right? Crashlands three, but now, we still have the tool. We still have the tool, and I think yeah, to me this is it, the, this is yeah. and this is like the th- this is why like I have a just a deep like a uh, internal belief that whenever you're trying to decide between something that has a short term payoff and a long term payoff, um, just always do the long term. Always do the long term one. And the problem is, is that like the way that you still got to do something in the short. You term. You still got to do something in the short term, but that all depends <laughs> on point. the details, right? But it, and you yeah. and you can't do that if you don't have a a team who's aligned to the long-term because then the pressure to do stuff in the short-term is too high. And so you basically can't, right? But this is one of those things where if you do truly have like the long-term so that you can make those early investments and because the the problem is that any of those early investments you don't make just like 
in the stock market, right? It's, it's now just it's just gone now because it compounds. So that's just that's just like it's a huge actual absence of something that you would have had in the future. But the problem is you have to give that up now to get it, right? Yep. Yeah. And so so I've also been feeling this because I'm and I, I mean I feel this this struggle constantly, even though I deeply believe like the right thing to do is to learn stuff, make better tools, get better at what I'm doing. If I'm not sure how something works, go figure it out, right? Don't so basically like I strongly believe I should never just move forward. But that means that I'll sometimes like just like look back and be like, oh fuck, I spent this whole week like really just fighting this thing that probably I could have just like gone around, right? And some just like, leave that problem for future Adam. Yeah, exactly. Just like <laughs> deal with that some other time, right? And yeah. and and it's there's no way to know for sure. If like, uh, should I guess that is probably what I should have done, right? Because the problem is that if I biased that way, then I wouldn't be making all of these investments, right? And so by biasing towards the long term, there's no way around the fact that periodically you're going to look at the past day or the past week or even the past month and be like, oh, fuck, was that, was that worth it? <laughs> was that the right move? You know? What do you think in, in management, time management stuff, you talk about the difference between being productive and being efficient, right? And the point is that being productive is accomplishing things toward like with the, with such obvious ties toward the value add that you're trying to get to being efficient is about is more myopic in the sense that it's more about getting whatever you're doing done on a relatively you know, quick time scale and so i almost think about those in terms of like long term versus short term like it's there's some things for which uh if you just have to do them and there's it's like a one off whatever uh it is far better to just be it's it's far more productive to just be very you know, diligently like smash your face against it for, you know, an hour or two, whatever else, and then move the fuck on. Right. Um, what you really want to teach about, for, it's about prediction, right? If you, if you don't think you're going to encounter this thing again, and you have like a exactly. good reason to believe that, then it does make sense to just solve it in the specific case that you have. Right. Mm -hmm. And then move on. Well, that's the thing is, is, um, is even that, cause, cause this is where you hear like the, uh, the joke about like programmers in particular who t who tend to not always but tend to like be really into tools, you know, like mm -hmm. making making things better and solving things programmatically, even when technically you could not. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's that recurring joke you see all over the place of like, oh, like uh, you know, I saved myself, or I guess what is it? Yeah, it's like yeah, I spent four hours running a program to save myself ten minutes or whatever, right? So you see this joke. Um, and this is the same idea, right? Which is like, well, if you could just get this thing done and you're only going to do it once, then like, why, why spend extra time trying to come up with a better way, right? And I think there's a really key reason for that, which is that you have to throw away the normal ideas of productivity and efficiency and focus purely on long-term investment and capability, right? Because produ produced things are an outcome of capability, right? And something that you don't get if you don't attempt to like solve a problem because basically because like you're doing something you don't know how to do that's why it's hard and why it takes more time right than just like bashing your head against it or whatever so in the process of doing that you will have explored new solution space you will have tried to do some stuff you may not walk away with a tool that you get to use ever again but the tool is inside you now you know because you're the actual tool that matters here <laughs> you're you know? the tool like, you're the tool. You're sharper than yourself <laughs> the when you tool. do it. And so, so if you so I take things like like early, early, early on in my uh, programming career, um, you know, starting when I was in grad school at this point, shit, 12 years ago, basically, mm -hmm. uh, I had heard of the idea of regular expressions. I'm not going to go into the weeds here, but like this like weird concept of like 
fancy as fuck find and replace, but using this really cryptic language, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and I saw it get used in some context, and I was like, oh, that's neat. I should like learn how to do this, you know. And so I kind of started playing with it, and then I just treated every single problem that I saw, like a, like every cleaning up data problem, as like, could I solve this with regex somehow, right? If I didn't, and just like put it into a spreadsheet like a normal person, and then like just did the manual labor of like you know, doing other other approaches, uh, I would have saved enormous amounts of time over like the first two years of doing this, like literally over two years, right? Um, today, you can't throw a regex a regex at me that I can't understand, which is it's one of those like canonically like every everybody's always like oh regex is impossible to understand, blah blah blah, right? Mm-hmm. You cannot give me one that I will not be able to figure out. And there's very few problems that I can't solve using regex to the point where now when I'm doing almost anything, it's a go-to solution that I have where mm-hmm. if I'm looking at something that's I'm like, oh, it's easy for you to use now because you so invested easy, the, but I think, but I think this is true, but I think again, this is, this is a particular value stream for you that is aligned with what you do on the data. So for me, for example, it doesn't make any fucking sense actually for me to care about regex to nearly to the degree that you do in the same way that it doesn't matter for you to work like so diligently on like memorizing 130 hotkeys for or art. Yeah. Or like all the art stuff. Right. So I think yeah. that's what I'm getting at though. Just like, cause it's not the case that every single thing that you, every problem you run into can nor should be viewed as a long-term investment potential. I think really because you only have so much time, only have so much time. Day yeah. And so I to think invest, the place, so you gotta be strategic. Yeah. The place where it becomes a joke, actually we're like, you know, making fun of uh, engine devs or tool devs is where they cannot actually hitch that value add to being able to finish something because they're always just say, uh, you know, working around the problem, but not actually say creating the value that's associated with the problem. And so I think that's where I think being able to slice into the question a little bit in terms of like, okay, is this, is this thing I'm doing now something where there is a value associated with it that is like we talked about either something I'm going to probably use sort of with some frequency in the future or that is just sort of like, it hits a part of my toolkit that would be useful to just be beefier on, right? Which in programming cases, there's a lot of things, right? Data cleanup and everything else. Um, where a lot of the problems that, that you guys run into, they're on that sort of end of things. It actually does probably pay some dividends generally to do a bit deeper investigation, right? Um, but sometimes when it comes to, you know, even like admin stuff or or things that aren't necessarily as clear cut in terms of like their skill, the way they build skills into you, as a tool, you the tool. Um, I think it is a very worthy question of like whether or not it's really worthwhile to focus on the long term versus short term. And really, all it has to do is the time scales. Like that's always that's always the thing. It really is the context in the background, which is really it is how long do you actually have before you need to be producing something of value, right? Because that does mm-hmm. that question is really the one that determines uh, whether well, and or not it does. But yeah, and, and so I have a. A few points there. So, so the time scale, yeah, definitely matters in terms of how much you're allowed to invest in the same way that how much money you have is yes. like, right? Same, yeah. And so if you don't have enough money to put it into a long-term investment vehicle, right, then like, yeah, you just don't get to. You don't get to capitalize on that, right? But what is the consequence? The consequence is 20 oh, yeah. years later, you have far less money than you realize would, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it wasn't something you got to choose. You didn't get to choose that consequence, but it still is. So it's the same way where if you if you get to choose long-term versus short-term time investment, it's the same deal, right? Yeah, it, yeah if, you have the, if you're in a place where you can make the choice, then choose long-term. Well, I think that's, that's and I think where strategically it becomes interesting because it's like we're what we do with our studio is trying to make it such that it's not so much that you are choosing against a pressure of short-term stuff, but rather we're trying to set up a scenario where generally speaking, to Adam's point, like we're biasing toward long-term action as much as possible, right? 
that's where part yeah. of like running a really lean, like a very small team. Yeah. Comes because from. if you if you always bias toward long term, then let's say like we finish the game changer, right? And then we would look at our capabilities and we'd be like, there's still so many things that we can't do yet. Mm-hmm. Let's keep making more tools, keep making more tools, keep making more tools. But then pretty soon, two years go by, we've made a whole bunch of tools and we don't have Crashlands 2, mm-hmm. right? Um, because at a certain point, we have to deploy the tools that we're making uh, in order to hit some kind of a, a target to bring in cash to extend the runway to be able to keep to doing long term more tools. Yeah. 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 Well, you don't. Uh, yeah, you, don't make, of, you don't make tools for the for the sake of doing it, right? But that's not the yeah, same you, you thing. You make them to use them, but you could always make more. Yeah. Yeah. But that's and it'll, all, and it'll always add capability. Mm-hmm. But you got to use the capability that you've generated. Sure. But right. I, I don't think realistically, like unless your unless your goal is to build an engine, in which case, like, okay, just keep adding features to it because you're making an engine, right? Like that makes sense. Uh, I, I don't think. To me, that's one of those things where it's like because people are so afraid that that's what's going to happen, and. It, they feel like it's a slippery slope. They feel like it's a slippery slope, and that's actually the thing that kicks people out. Because I think that realistically, because you do have some goal, whatever it is, right? And if you're aligned with whatever that goal is, um, and actually for, like in my case, I, I don't think my that our team goal is to build Crashlands 2. I think our team goal is to build a studio and a, a collection of personnel and systems and tools and practices that allow us to produce Crashlands 2. And then also whatever comes after that, right? And so, because yep. it's it's the framing of the goal matters a lot in terms of yep. what it then means to then invest in that thing and having those choices. We've said in the past that everything is a tool, right? So like every game that we make is a tool as well. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about how, for example, when we, when we made Levelhead, we viewed it as how do we use this game to expand our studio capabilities, right? So, yep. we, so we set some targets in terms of tech features we had for the game as well as you know how many platforms we can hit the first game that we first game that we had localized at launch um, and we we used the production of that game to expand our capabilities and learn a bunch of stuff right and so and then and then it's a it's a revenue generating tool that then comes back into that we can reinvest that to expand our capabilities more right so everything mm-hmm. that, everything we're doing isn't just like do this thing to get money, right? Because yeah, then you're just not. It's the money is the by yes, the byproduct of expanding our capabilities. Yes, yeah, and deploying those capabilities. Well, so, and I think that's the 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 other thing I wanted to hit was this idea of like when you're trying to decide like how much time basically do I invest into whatever this is, right? And this question of because Sam, basically, what you're getting at was sort of this cross disciplinary problem, which is if you're a programmer and you run into something and the long term focused solution is to dive into like a programming concept you're unfamiliar with, right? Then yeah, to, like in my opinion, that is the go-to thing. Do that one, right? Figure that out, even if you don't end up using it because you've explored that space. And that's going to allow you to do better programming work for the long term now. Um, as you start moving out of your domain, two things happen. So one of them is the one that you were talking about, which is that you lose the ability to explore this explore the solution space and capitalize on 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 things that you invest time into because you don't normally operate in that solution space right but the other thing is is that you can't tell what will or will not be useful for you right mm-hmm. then the further outside of your your the solution space that you're familiar with already the farther outside of that you get the less you know about how much it matters to like but also the higher the cost is 
because you have less context to build from, so it takes more energy yeah. to. Yeah, but, but what do you what do you get on the it. other side of that cost, though, right? Because you don't because, know. And this is what I'm saying. It's like well, no, well, there's one thing you don't know, which is like literally what is it going to turn into, right? Mm-hmm. But there's another thing that you do know, which is when you're learning new things, right? Uh, the cost to new knowledge mm-hmm. ratio, you know, is always the lowest actually when you don't know anything, right? Because you don't know anything. You don't know anything. Everything you encounter, everything you encounter is new. You're is not new knowledge. <laughs> you're not. You're not on a. You're not on a slope where it's like now, like the cost to gain new stuff is really high because you know so much, right? You're exploring the space. So as you as you move outside of your domain of expertise, um, because you're unfamiliar with a the thing, then like your default belief is going to be, oh well, like I shouldn't invest in this because mm-hmm. like I can't see how it could be useful, right? And also, it's going to feel like a huge waste because you're going to make this investment and feel like you still can't do anything, which is true, because you're so far away from the amount of expertise you need to be yeah, able to, to actually utilize it is right. yeah, a different level. Yeah. But you actually make progress towards that really rapidly when you're in the total noob sort mm-hmm. of angle of a thing, right? And 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 you're right that you you just you don't know and. Because we're trying to, we are still trying to accomplish things, right? Like if you're go, if you're sitting off to go write an email to somebody, and they need to get that email today, right, to serve some goal, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't spend the next three days like learning about emailing strategies or whatever, right? Yeah, uh, it was kind of like you got to send the email, which is I think <laughs> yeah. it's it's a useful. I think what you're saying is a useful point, uh, like on a on a higher philosophical level. But I think when it comes to the practical question of like how do I assess and then choose the things to do. Because it's not practical to say you it's valuable to do all of them because it is not and it is not equally valuable, right? And so while it's it's it would be useful in like a time unlimited capacity to be able to dive into all these different things. I think the, the more interesting question is when you're confronted with your email inbox, some regex problems or regex, I guess. Is this a GIF GIF one of those? It's a GIF GIF situation. Yeah. I always say I would, I would call it a regex because it's regular. Expression. I know, but that's, it's just the magic. But also the with GIF, you know, so. feels good. graphical interchange format GIF, mm-hmm. hard G. That would make sense to me. Um, but yeah, so I, that's what I'm kind of wondering is like, where is again not on the high? Like I, I get that it would be great if everybody could have the time to learn all of the skills related to. But all this the thing things. is, it's not a matter of just like, do you have time or not, and trying to invest all the time. I think to me is the is the key is that the thing to get rid of is the worry that time is being wasted if you explore something. And the reason is, is because, uh, yeah, like, because the, the argument here of like, since you don't know what that value is mm-hmm. and you can't, and so, and you want to be careful not to go too far, et cetera, right? It's true with everything because you can't know the value of, of anything, right? And so, it's if true, your but the tendency quite- is always to, so like, so here's, so here's what I do. Yeah. Just as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Is anything I run into that I'm like, oh, this is like, I feel like I'm missing something here. I feel like I don't know something or I feel like this was hard. I try to take one extra step, mm-hmm. right? And figure out like, is there, like, is there more to this? Is like, yeah. can I, can I like, so, so do a cursory Google search, right? On whatever <laughs> the thing is. Uh, get a sense of like trying to basically see if the, the mental model I have of that thing, even if it's outside my wheelhouse or if I don't think it's a big deal because it's like something I do all the time and I've never thought about like writing an email, right? Um, like if I just do a little digging, like, oh, is there like, is there some high level rapid improvements that I could make here? Mm-hmm. And similarly, is there, is there something that can reveal to me things that I don't know about that, that show me like what something could look like, right? Uh, after a time investment so that I have an understanding of like where a thing could go. Because to me, the key problem is if you have no idea where a thing can go, mm-hmm. 
and then also don't invest in it because you're afraid that it won't be worth the investment, then because you can't actually know, you're guaranteed to actually be limiting your possible solution space. Because here's the other thing, which is that the cross-functional solution space is far and away the most important valuable space Mm -hmm. because it's the thing that allows you as an individual, but in particular you with a team of people who are also have some degree of cross-functionality to work together and accomplish new things and come up with better, faster, more interesting solutions to problems that nobody else has because it's never the expertise in the one thing because that never matters. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're the best program in the world if you go to tackle, like if you're trying to help somebody build some finance software and you know jack shit about finance, then all you can do is have it's some other person do what you're told. Give you a model <laughs> and take it verbatim. Assume that it is 100% complete and the truth. But of course, if they don't solve. know anything about programming, then they're going to be giving you instructions yeah. on how to execute it that they don't understand either. Right? Exactly. And, so, I, and, I, and I saw yeah. this like in my in my grad school days. Like there was the biostatistician, and then there was the biologist. Right? Like biologists at a lab doing experiments, reading papers. Like they get how biology works. They're like putting you know they're just squirting chemicals on things, right? And somehow they don't know stats, I they guess. They don't know stats. So <laughs> you have your bio- I mean, they literally, like, literally don't. But again, I think it's, it's, it's not weird. who, like, don't know any biology. This is what right? getting, like, it's they, not weird that, that these people don't know certain things because it's not, it's not remotely— It's not about being weird. Well, it's, 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 not, it's not, I think it's not appropriate to act like only knowing about biology or only knowing about statistics is bad because I think with the piece oh, of no, missing that you're talking about is like— I didn't say it was bad. Well, Seth called it weird. So it's like it's weird that biologists don't. Well, I, I think so it's, like, it's arguably it's arguably worse it's, yeah. to know about one thing than it is from, to know about from a practical things. standpoint. Uh, right. So but, it's, I mean, it's not that it's it's not that it's it's not that it's bad. It's just like that, it's not a value judgment, right? It's that if it's, you're trying to accomplish things. So, like in my case, I knew statistics, but I, I think it's really well. I knew the approaches that biostatisticians took, and I knew the wet lab biology, right? Mm-hmm. And that meant that when I was doing my work. I was able to do stuff that all of my colleagues couldn't do because oh, I could do both yeah. of those at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think this, this, this is what I'm getting at. It's like saying that it's it's always better to have more skills is one of those like, well, yeah, but that doesn't assist you in in picking which of those skills because you cannot. You are time you are time bound being, so you cannot have all of the skills, right? So, uh, so it's just not the case that you can like always be able to, for example, as a programmer, know about finance while working on a finance product. And I think this is where. The piece is missing is the fact that like you have these collaborative aspects where oftentimes like cross-functional teams are not just cross-functional because the people in them are able to do all of the stuff, but rather the team itself as an organism is a cross-functional team, right? Yeah, yeah, but but yeah. what creates the health? I mean, absolutely, because like there's still there's the thing that you're an actual expert in because you can't you're yeah. there isn't enough time to be an expert in all of the things, right? Mm-hmm. But I would also argue that you can't be expert in anything, any one thing, uh, because there's there's no such thing as as like as expertise without context, right? There's no such thing as a programmer, right? There's a person who's spent a lot of time learning programmatic ways to solve certain kinds of problems. But I mean, I think right? it feels like a really weird and again, like I don't know about the usefulness of that particular. Right, I'm gonna approach. I'm gonna pull a <laughs> I'm gonna pull a middle child move here. Do you it. guys ready for this? Yeah. Okay, so here's so here's the thing. I think I think you guys are both right. And you're land. You're just landing. To me, this is a spectrum. Okay, which is that? Think about a typical person bumping up against a problem. Right. Oftentimes, the first time they bump against that problem, they're just gonna say like, "Oh, what do I do here?" And then they're gonna just try to solve that problem. Right. So then that person bumps up against that problem again, mm-hmm. and at that point, 
some people may go, wow, I've seen this problem before. I feel like if I've seen it twice now, I'm going to probably see it a third time. Let me take a step back and see if there's a better way to kind of like just make it easier to solve this problem going forward, right? But not everybody's going to do that the second time. Yeah. Most people just grab right. whatever the solution was the first time. Okay, move right. On, right. You just copy paste it or just redo it, right? Mm-hmm. Or or they 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 have encountered the same problem twice, but they don't recognize it as the same problem because it looks a little bit different, right? So so there's it's kind of, you can think about it like a filter, right? Where like then maybe the third the third time somebody encounters a problem, maybe that's the time when they finally do it. But not everybody's gonna step back and rethink mm-hmm. the problem, right? So different people have different tolerances or thresholds for where where they step back and decide enough is enough of re-encountering this same shit over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's time to really like learn learn it, right? And so essentially um, what Adam is advocating for is is to go as high up that funnel as you possibly can where he's saying like the first time you come across something that's totally unfamiliar, it's always worth it to step back and do some research into it so that you can get a better context for whether or not you're even, you know, doing it right. And I think we agree with that. We have a phrase for always worth trying to broaden context every time. Yeah, we have a phrase for that already, which is poke the fan. Which to me is poke the fan. Just just take a minute and just see what the heck is going on. I actually did this yesterday. Our electric baseboard in the bedroom was was clicking and I'd read about like one of the ways to solve it is just to kind of like kind of push on it a bit because sometimes it's just, <laughs> just and I hadn't done it for like a week and it then does, last night yeah sometimes it just fucking I just pushed it. on it a couple of times and it like reduced the clicking frequency by like yeah. half and I was like okay well mm-hmm. that's dumb yeah but it's Both it's same. a difference between having the radiator be clicking and being like wow that's I hate that and then just moving on with your day versus saying like is right. this like a thing is this a thing that that is easily solved. Let me read into this a little bit. And then you spend, you know, five, 10 minutes just like looking at YouTube or articles, yeah. which is a very shallow, you know, time investment. Um, and then you now have this little like nugget mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. wisdom in your brain yeah, that you and, can deploy. And to me, the cross-functional aspect of this I'm talking about is not that like I'm literally a statistician and literally a biologist, right? Yes. It's that you have your domain of expertise, but again, but expertise lives in a context, right? So there's a reason you have a biostatistician because they're focusing on approaches and methods that deal with the data that comes out of biology, which so they know a lot about his context. And it is and in a context, and they know enough biology. about biology for them to like make sense of it, right? So, Sam, you as a video game artist have a very different idea of like what it mm-hmm. means to do art than somebody, say, like making stickers oh, yeah. for a living or something, right? The the problem space is different, so the solution space is also different, even though the core discipline is supposedly the same one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's that part where the where the cross functional aspect for you as a person comes in, which is wherever your primary domain of expertise is or is growing, where it's intended Mm to be, um, that's in a context. And that context is cross-disciplinary. And so something that will make you always better at that thing is when you're confronted by aspects of the whole thing, the whole cross-disciplinary thing, that you explore to some extent. That doesn't mean become an expert because you don't have time for that. That's Mm -hmm. why you have other people who are also to some degree cross-functional, but who primarily focus on the one thing, right? And But the idea here is that the more each person is aware of, yeah. if, you know, not actually an expert in, but is aware of the both the problem and the solution space for their colleagues and within the same context, then the better able everybody is to handle stuff. And I think you can see some fun examples of this, you know, in our really in our own work all the time, right? Where I now have people like, so say like my wife, where she'll be working on some writing problem that she's dealing with. 
And then she'll run into something that she needs to do. And she's heard me talk about regex before. Just bring it back to regex. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> she's just like, is this a regex yeah, problem? She's like, this sounds like, like, as you've discussed about this, like, it sounds like that kind of a problem. Is there a way that I can use that here? And, and then, and, and on many occasions I'm like, oh, actually, yeah. Like that is a, and, and, then, and then we can collaboratively convert what would have been for her, like a multiple hour problem into like a half hour problem, right? Without her having to go like learn the intricacies of actually building regexes and stuff, right? And Sam and I have had the same deal with uh, Mm -hmm. like the various tools built for doing art pipeline stuff, right? And and like I, and I'm very aware of some of my own deficiencies in particular with like art, I think is a good example, which is that, you know, I need like, I'm building user interfaces. I need logos periodically. Like there's stuff that I need, but it's not a really high demand is and I don't need lots of it. And it, but it'd be really nice if like I had enough capability in that area to just be able to, you know, even if it took a couple hours, just to spit out something that looked fine that could go. Now here's my here's my stupid little icon that lives in the tab on the browser or whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. like if that was just not a big deal, then you know, I wouldn't need to enlist Sam to do that kind of a thing. Right. Conversely, because Sam could whip that kind of a thing up in like 20 seconds and I know how to convey the requirements. I know that he can understand them because we live in the same context space. Then, like that's still the go-to approach, right? And and so that's and so to me, that's where those questions of of how far do you take it when you go mm-hmm. into cross-discipline or into your own discipline or whatever are always to this point of like, what are you trying to accomplish and what's your context, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that context bit is the part that that people because you have to have alignment already. On, on the thing, you have to have an understanding of what everybody else is up to and the big picture of what the whole thing is doing. Yeah, what's the point? And yeah, and you have to and you have to know what your range of of allowed investment is in the long term. Mm-hmm. And that has to be like well understood by all parties. Because it's only with that full situation that you can then make meaningful decisions at all, even about like, oh, I need to be able to do this, right? Or, or I need to like make this happen, or oh, this sucks. What should I do about that? Right. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. first answer is always gonna be take a beat and like think about it right is there don't, again, yeah, don't just do it don't just do it what's the cursory just like poking around right and then given what you know about the rest of the team right like so right now we have people also like jordan right now is just like throwing tons of time at google sheets and like app script and like just automating the ever-living shit out of spreadsheets and like collecting data and stuff mm-hmm. right uh so now like if i have a question in the future about something to do with sheets or whatever, instead of even like Google searching or anything, if I'm like, I feel like there's going to be a better way, but it's probably complicated. Instead of spending literal a day now, he's already spent days and days and days, right? Mm-hmm. I could just go- yeah, you could leverage his expertise. Yeah. Yeah. I could just say, this looks like shit. And I, and I know that the cost for me to figure out how to get to that next step yeah. is way too high for me to do it just by myself. So like- So you need someone to point you in the right direction. Yeah, but give you have you a base that, understanding yeah. that you can use as a springboard to couple right. with their expertise and, and yeah. get and so you it's, there. it's that, it's basically, tr- it's always trying to like get more and more of that exposure to what, again, to the, to the problem and solution spaces mm-hmm. of every aspect of the overarching context that you're in. Uh, while knowing, as Sam said, you, you don't have time to be an expert in all of this stuff. But the thing you have to try to carve out time for is to have really good awareness of what it means to have expertise in the rest of that stuff and what those mm-hmm. problems and solutions look like so that you can leverage them into your yeah. stuff. So, so then- Snaps to that, Adam. Yeah. So so yeah, with regard to the idea of like, <laughs> is it is it bad that there's a biologist that doesn't have any understanding of statistics, right? So 
I actually say that like in the long run, yes. Like yeah, if you're, definitely. if you're a biologist and you've been a biologist for a long time and every time you have to do biology stuff, you always have to deal with statistics uh, and you never gain an understanding of those statistics. That's pretty, that's bad. Like over time, that's mm-hmm. bad because you well, here, actually the, don't understand a core piece of yeah. your work, right? There's, um, there's a reason that most scientific studies in any discipline, except maybe like hardcore physics, because that's a different kind of a, of a thing. But in every other discipline, um, that's just magic. Something yeah, like 60% of all results, all beliefs that we have about how the world works. If somebody tried to do the experiment again, didn't get the same result, right? In any discipline, whether it's, it just doesn't matter. The results are fake. And, but a, a lot of why that is, is because of exactly this problem, which is that the people involved know just enough, but not enough about some aspect of the context they're in. Not necessarily statistics could be anything, right? But like some piece of the overarching puzzle where they're trying to solve something, but it's always a, t- the thing that they're dealing, that they're focusing on is a little tiny sliver of a broader context. And there's context that they don't have or don't have enough enough of. And so then they end up being led down the wrong path. And so, yeah, like it absolutely, and the, but this is true. Like we've seen this ourselves, right? Like this is just looking, looking right? back. There's all the stuff we wish we yeah. knew then that we know now. Had we known it then, like look how much better off we'd be today. Right? Yeah. I think but we do like, know it now and that's the key. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, if it sort of ends up boiling down to like, it, it would have been nice to always know more stuff. That's what I'm saying. Is like, as far as like a useful tidbit, it's kind of like, well, I mean, I mean, yes, but, but you got to be strategic. Yeah. I think you can't because yeah. you, you, it would always be, it's in the same way. Like it would always, it would always be nice to be able to have, you know, more knowledge about how everything works. Um, I mean, it's the same as the planting the tree metaphor, right? Which is like, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Yes. When's the next best time? <laughs> Today, <laughs> right? right? And so, to me, that's the point. It's not, this isn't about looking back. It's about looking forward, which is anything you do today, just like any kind of investment, right? Um, is going to make it that much easier for you to do stuff well mm-hmm. in the future, for you to work with your team, for all that kind of stuff, right? And so when it's coming to making the decisions about just where should my time go, uh, it's it's basically a cautionary tale, to, or for me anyways, that the default of mm. staying tightly in your lane, like really as tightly as you can, and thinking that expertise means like, I'm the best at knowing about X, right? Or, or doing X, right? that that's what makes somebody the most capable. Like that's the part that's just wrong. It's, mm-hmm. it's that plus this like, you know, kind of like falling off knowledge within the broader context. And in that being good at something just means like being able to do it fast or whatever, right? Because what it really means is being able to continue to expand into what is, what is essentially an infinite and infinitely growing mm-hmm. solution space and problem space. And just over time, because yeah, every time you look back, every time, if you're doing this right, that's because the inevitable outcome is if you are doing this, then when you look back, you'll be like, fuck, I wish I planted this tree 10 years ago. Yep. You know? Yep. <laughs> you didn't know about this tree 10 years ago. You know, you couldn't have. And that's just always true. Like, you know, you could Don't beat yourself up. Just do it now. Yeah, just do it now. Yeah. Do Fine. it now. There you go. Yep. Well, there you go. That's a good spot to end it on, yeah, I think. I think so. Uh, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. And uh, you can also go there to ask questions, and sometimes we answer questions <laughs> on the podcast. Usually yeah. we squeeze one. Usually one. Not sometimes today, zero. Today was sometimes not that day. we go crazy and do two. 
so maybe next week. We'll see. Well, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.